Flourishing Education, the podcast where I share the powerful, imperfectly perfect conversations with disruptors of the education system in the UK and beyond. I would really like to encourage you to take a listen and see what's possible as I ask the question, how can we change the way we educate and parent our children and young people so that they can truly become flourishing, curious, lifelong learners and young adults. I hope you enjoy these episodes as much as I've enjoyed recording them and creating them. Please do not hesitate to connect with me on LinkedIn, Fabian Vales, and or, and or on Twitter at FlourishingHG. And please let me know what's your favourite episode or favourite part of the podcast. I look forward to hearing from you and in the meantime I truly hope you are thriving and flourishing. Wishing you a fabulous day wherever you are in the world. Hello and welcome to another Imperfectly Perfect Conversation for the Flourishing Education podcast. Today I'm delighted to welcome my new guest, Kara a very warm welcome to the podcast thank you so much I'm very happy to be here yeah wonderful so Kara um obviously it's your evening my morning right because you're you're not in the UK so um and and for the listeners I've spoken to Kara a, a couple of times and we um and we speak regularly on LinkedIn. We have conversations offline, I guess. So it's a delight to have her here to have this conversation. But perhaps because our listeners may not know who you are, would you? Could we start, sort of start with you know who you are, where you are in the world, and your journey thus far? Perhaps is that okay? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so yes, my name is Kara Templeton, and I'm an educator in. Thailand, uh, in Phuket, Thailand right now. I was previously in Chiang Mai for five years before that. And I was a teacher in Australia too. Um, I just ended up in Thailand kind of spur of a spur of a moment decision. I was feeling um, stuck in the education system in Australia. I was feeling perhaps that I was not being fulfilled. And I thought, well, maybe I'll try and do some volunteering, see if that changes my perspective. So I went to Chiang Mai and taught English to monks at a Thai temple school called um, Damarat Suksa. So it's a school attached to a temple where they uh, educate either the monks or um, the young monks or, or those boys, young boys that families could not otherwise afford to educate them. And that was meant to be two months and it's now been six years and <laughs> I'm still in Thailand. I did make the move to international education um, for a few different reasons, but yeah, I absolutely love it here. My partner is, is Thai and um, I'm learning the language and that's me in a little nutshell. Amazing. And so there's so much I want to explore with, with just this little intro. Um because of this because of the topics we've been discussing, right? So 
you come from Australia originally, mm -hmm. right? So um, what I would describe a, uh, although it's not Western, I guess, in, in the sense that where it is in the world, it's not quite mm -hmm. the Northern Hemisphere. Um, but it fits in with the, the other descriptions of weird countries, right? Would you agree? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's not really strayed far from its kind of colonized roots, as it were. Yes. Yeah. And so moving into a culture like Thailand, and in particular, sort of moving to volunteer in a, in like you know, working or, you know, sort of volunteering and teaching monks, how was that experience for you? Like, moving and experiencing that it was I mean it sounds so cliche right when you say things like it was life-changing but it really flipped um, my perspective on a lot of things so in terms of Australia like right now and not just like educationally but just kind of societally and systemically it's very capitalist it's very like work harder, you know, um, and work a lot, not necessarily for any real gain. And I, and I remember even from the age of like, I'm going to say like 14, just being like kind of disenfranchised with that idea. Like, I was like, why do I have to finish school? Why do I have to go to university? Why do I have to get married and buy a house? And I was always kind of questioning things um, early on in the piece, right? But I came from a very, very small town um, and that was kind of just what you did. Um, and I kind of broke the mould for a little while when I went on exchange to France and I went to Lycée Jean d'Arc and that was very strange. I was the first student from my school to, um, that then set up the sister school. Um, and then I came back and I went to uni like a good girl, as you know, you're supposed to. Didn't like it. So I went back to France, went to Bordeaux this time, hung out mm -hmm. in Bordeaux for a while. <laughs> I didn't know. So you speak French? Oui, je parle français. Amazing. Oh, cool. Well, we're definitely going to have to, to, um, use that insight and knowledge a lot more that's cool yeah. <laughs> I look forward to chatting in French with you yeah. oh malheureusement unfortunately like now uh, my French has lapsed because and I'm sure you understand this too as you start to acquire more languages the one that you use most often becomes the forefront yeah. um, and Thai is now my predominant language Amazing. Well, we we can talk about that because that's really exciting. And and it's like skiing, or it's like if if you've ever skied or cycling, you don't forget the language yeah. once it's acquired past like the teenage years where you've done the pruning, it stays. So it, it's there somewhere. I've just got to think a little bit harder. But yeah, yeah. I digress. I digress. Yeah. So sorry, Bordeaux. I I I I <laughs> there. So I apologize. No, no, no. <laughs> um, love Bordeaux. Um, and I was in Bordeaux and I remember like getting a phone call, like, cause I was just living the best life. I was going to Le Jardin Public, like every day, just reading my book, eating ice cream. And my dad called and he was like, are you coming back? And I was like, mm, 
<laughs> yeah, okay. And so I, I came back to Australia and I changed university course. I had been doing journalism and I changed to communications. And I finished uni with no real sense of what it was that I wanted to do. I was still like, I was just not kind of born with a passion as it were, you know, some people like my younger sister's a good example. She hit like 16. She's like, I want to be a doctor. And that's what she did. And now she's a pediatrician and you know, that's, that's her calling. Right. And for me, it was never that, you know, simple. So I worked for a little bit in my degree of communications, doing public relations in the city. I'm not a city girl. <laughs> I need greenery. I lasted six months and then I was like, <laughs> left. Retrained as a yoga teacher. Went to India. <laughs> did a course in Ayurveda. Came back, did a course in nutrition, did a diploma of nutrition. Um, and I taught yoga and then went back into education, like as my main job for a while and always teaching in Australia in public school systems, never in private. Um, and then because I'm, I don't know, a sucker for punishment, I decided I should do educational research, a degree in educational research. I was like, yeah, that's definitely what I should be doing. Um, so <laughs> I wrote a thesis, um, uh, it was a critical discourse analysis on education policy, um, in Australia and how it impacted, um, on indigenous education outcomes based on the, the framing of success. And then I finished that basically, and I was still teaching and doing everything. And then that's when the kind of like, I guess like malaise just set in and I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't feel like I'm achieving a lot with the kids. I'm not getting that joy out of it. And I was working in hard schools. I was working in last resort schools, schools where over 50% of the parents were in jail. Um, mm. And yeah, I just, I was like, no, you know what? Maybe Australia is not it. And what I found out was that this idea of kind of living to work does not suit me. And that's what I found out when I came to Thailand, because there's not really that mentality, unless I have to put a big caveat here, unless you're in the lower, like, uh, lower, like income earner in 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 Thailand then yes there's a live to work but even then they still enjoy themselves there's still this kind of light and this kind of energy and this kind of idea of like we have two different sayings there's like sabai sabai which is just like easy easy and also like my ben lai like no worries and they're like the two things you'll probably hear all day every day like very just unassuming, lovely, kind, generous people. And I was just like, I want to learn more about these people and I want to be able to speak their language and I want to be able to engage with them. And 
that's what I've been doing. Um, although I would say I've started to see some kind of cracks now, I guess, which is kind of what the big long-winded voice message that I <laughs> sent you on LinkedIn was was about, right? And and it's and you know maybe we can go there if you're happy to share that like the the content of that of that message. Um, but I resonate so much with your journey in the sense that this is to some extent, you know, that malaise you talk about, the the not feeling this is quite, it doesn't sit quite right with me. I realise now I've always had it, um, except that, of course, you know, and I think what I also now realise a lot more as I reflect and reflect more and more is being female. So I think as a as a as a woman, I'm really I was I've always been as a child tapped in my intuition. It's like this doesn't feel right. Mm-hmm. My gut see sort of like it doesn't feel right. But of course, I grew up in France. It, like you know, this is this is the country of paternism, and you know. <laughs> It's it's a very paternalistic country. Um, and of course I was told none and none of that. Like you, you you there is no space for you to say, you know. So people as a child would say, You're weird, like your child in and her intuitive thing, like this is weird, don't do it. So I learned to shut it down. Mm-hmm. Whilst the whole of my like you I'm a linguist I love cultures so I've always wanted I've always been drawn to English as a language anyway so when I went on holiday with my parents and we were camping I would be like hunting literally hunting for the Brits so I could speak English with them and the Spaniards and like just practice my skills and um you know, and, and it's not just the languages the culture I'm really interested in understanding how people tick differently because of their culture, right? And so I'm hearing part of that in your story. This, you know, when you went to France and the, you know, Jardin Public and and you know, glass and ice cream and stuff, because that's a, that's different from the culture in Australia. But you know, the, the in India, when you're trying to be a yoga teacher, and to me that also that you're being a yoga teacher taps into the spiritual side. Of, of our life right so before we we talk about the the bit around the the east the west and the different cultures I wonder whether we could meander around that concept of intuition mm-hmm. or spirituality versus intellect um and perhaps what your your sense is on that you know in terms of like the different cultures and whether we have split those like you know those paradoxes that we've literally split rather than just recognizing that they're two sides of the same coin right (laughs) yeah that's a really interesting one and when you spoke about like from your experience in France and being kind of told like "Mm, no we don't like that um I faced a similar thing if not about intuition but definitely about like I would say empathy and uh, sensitivity to living things around me. Um, And 
I wouldn't say perhaps that anyone outrightly said that I was weird, but I was definitely told that I was too sensitive. And even up until two years ago, I was told by a, um, a colleague that I was too sensitive. Um, but I know, <laughs> but definitely even just as a child, like in terms of, you know, I think there was definitely like energetically, like I never had a lot of friends growing up. Um, I was much more in tune with animals. Um, you know, my horses, cats, dogs, I had chickens, I had, you know, everything, you know, and I had like my little flock and I like, I have like one of my key memories is I was taking the dogs for a walk and there was a line behind me. One dog, two dog, one horse, two horse, cat, bird, like just following me as I, you know, went for a walk. And for some reason, this kind of um, trait or attribute has been really like devalued uh, in current society um and I think it fits in not just with that paternalistic uh idea but also capitalist and also like materialism and where value is being placed on you know kind of objects rather than living beings whether that be a human or an animal or a plant mm. um and so yeah people probably do think we're weird right <laughs> Well, it's, yeah, because it's like it's that soft. You're too soft. I think that's yes. that's what you know. So I remember, as you say, that one thing that just popped up is for a young time, long, long time when I was young, I would every Christmas, all I would ask was for one of those dolls that I could take care of. So mm -hmm. that's what I wanted. And until, you know, quite early like you know sort of like you're talking about 11 I think I remember I asked for Christmas to have one of those dolls and I remember the adults in my life looking at my parents and all you know like around us going isn't she too old now for that that's what mm -hmm. they were saying and so as you speak the, the the word that came up for me was Nell Nodding's words, you know, like the 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 philosopher, the female philosopher, around the difference between caring about and caring for that she talks about. Realised that actually, all my life I have cared deeply for others, not just myself, but like for others, and in particular for those whose voices. We, we're not really hearing or you know the less vocal the less prominent perhaps because as a as a girl I didn't feel like I had a voice or much of a voice as mm -hmm. I grew up um and I was invited to just like this is the hamster wheel off you go like and and I was a good compliant like you use the word good girl right so I too was a good girl and sort of I just okay well you say that's what's gonna make me happy so I'll go and do that <laughs> didn't make you happy though did it <laughs> nope <laughs> nope uh which yeah I mean I don't know because I just sort of think well is that is that partly what's going on with our young people? Because I see my sons, mm -hmm. I guess, have, have we've naturally allowed or held the space for them to really deeply understand that as men, 
you know, as they grow up as men, I don't want them to have this real toxics of masculinity. So I've always, you know, I've always fought really hard to, um, for them not to think that because they're men or boys, they can't cry, which is like in the UK, there's this big culture of, you know, when they play football or when I hear their friends go, oh, don't be like a girl. Um, I've always nipped it in the bud and said, not okay. Like in when I'm around, <laughs> those things don't, they, they, you know, it's an emotion. And so let's allow those emotions. And we just talk about that. Um yeah. So I don't know what what are your thoughts on that? Do you think that it's um the the caring for is something that like the empathy is what our capitalist and sort of our you know weird countries don't particularly want? I mean, I think it makes you less uh, robotic, less um, you know, drinking of the Kool Aid. As it were, yeah. Because when you start to look from an like a a position of empathy and caring for, then you start to question things. Well, why is that like that? Why is that person being treated like that? Why is that person being paid less when we're doing the same job? Um, Why? And I think this why, why, why is definitely something that systematically is not encouraged. I mean, and we can look at that for many, many years, not even just now. I think you can go back all the way, like pre-industrial revolution, even dark ages, right? Um, but I think it's really interesting with what you were saying with your your sons. And in Australia, we have a very similar kind of archaic idea, like feelings are bad, particularly for men, but just in general, like you can have your feelings, but don't, show them in a way that might make other people feel uncomfortable. You know, that's the worst thing you could do. Um, Really. And what I find interesting now is we look at, and I mean, I can't say that there's a definitive correlation, right, or even connection because I haven't done the research, but my feeling is that a lot of the issues that are coming up now with younger people with rising levels of anxiety and mental health concerns and uh, also issues with uh, schooling and, you know, not wanting to attend absenteeism or just falling rates of, you know, arbitrary test marks. I think it's all related. And I think if you don't teach or at least model, I don't think teach is the right word, but if you don't model how to feel your feelings, then something's going to go haywire at some point. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, no, I agree. I agree completely. And I think for me, it's sort of like I almost feel like we've swung the pendulum so far one way Mm -hmm. in terms of the the demands on the young people um that in in effect i'm actually quite quite glad even though it's awful to watch that our young people are saying no now young people are saying i can't go to school and all of those things because Mm -hmm. otherwise 
it'd be business as usual, right? We wouldn't change things or things wouldn't wouldn't shift. So uh, when people ask me with my research, you know, do we have a mental health crisis? And I think, well, I think I would say we've got more of a mental ill health <laughs> crisis. That this is what we have. Um, because mental health is the opposite of of mental ill health for me, and so the and the reason we have this is because actually, you know, it's quite healthy. It's healthy that these young people are saying no, we don't want or we can't or no more. Um, so, so in a way, it's it's really upsetting to watch, but it's also really positive that 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 this is happening, um, because maybe. Our young people are forcing us to pause and to stop and to look at the system, like the system. system right. <laughs> to what extent, though, do you wonder or, you know, for me, like I know there's a lot of different um, kind of education models that are popping up now that are kind of trying in some way, uh, whether successfully or no, to be different right um but you know education as a whole is slow to move right and we've seen that because you know we go back to um frere and you know that was what 1980 or something like i don't know um and well, he was like do we i mean like look at all the amazing people who were talking about um, all these things like like Dewey, like Piaget, like uh, Frere, uh, you know, uh, Bell Hooks. I mean, there's so many people before us who've been talking about this, right? I mean, if you want a more contemporary one, um, Sir Ken Rob Robinson, who passed away recently, right? He's been harping on and on about this. <laughs> and uh, it's not moving, right? Like, no. I mean, it's incremental, like tiny little shifts, but like, do you think there's going to be like any one kind of point where the floodgates just like, and things change or? I, that's a good question. So I think, I think part of the reason it's not moving, and this is my two pence worth of, of, of uh, assumption. <laughs> so please do come in and tell me what you think. But I think it's because... And this is based on me, my 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 journey as an educator and a mum, you know, so recovering teacher, reformed mother, that this is from that space that I talk. So I think because we've all been conditioned as adults to, you know, in that system, mm -hmm. and we've all been told, you know, success looks like this. We live in societies where you need money, so, you know, like to some extent, when I worked last year in an independent school, all the, the girls, because it was an all-girls school, independent school, they all all they wanted to be is consultant, GP, uh, lawyer, you know, mm -hmm. all of those things. That's that was the the what they were saying. And I think because we've been conditioned in this way, um, when we get into society and we start working we just continue, right? So you're on the hamster wheel and you work and you do all of those things. Underneath that, in that system, we've been conditioned to be competitive because we've used um, the 
the, the whole thing around evolution theory mm-hmm. as like we are wired to compete one, with one another and to be afraid of failure and to be perfectionist etc and all of that means that and plus the system keeps us the system you know like the media uh, the stories we're being spun is about us being in fear Mm-hmm. And so what happens, of course, is that I believe I'm an individual, Fabian, in this body who needs to compete against you, Kara, because if I don't, then, you know, there's an issue. And so you have this whole them us, you've got this competitiveness and these egos in fear, because like once we are in fear, we become really this physical body that feels like it has to survive. And what happens is, then you can't collaborate and cooperate. And so although there's amazing ideas, everybody, so I'm on conversation 223 on the podcast. There's Mm -hmm. so many amazing people doing amazing things. Like really, like with all of those amazing opportunities, we should have changed the face of education already. The issue is that if we are, really really honest with ourselves and we admit that to ourselves often we are in fear often we want to be the one who's going to change the face of education and I can say that in the most loving way because I was there three years ago and so that means that we don't realize that through the back door has come this conditioning that is one size fits all, magic wand, um, you know, silver bullets, all of those things. Mm-hmm. And so we're trying, even like with regenerative education, we are now trying to turn it into this monocropping of regenerative education. When really it's it look at nature. <laughs> use mother nature like we've done in the scientific era and the you know the whole enlightenment years rather than being extractive and going into parts in isolation look at mother nature and how she beautifully holds the space and allows everything to be um that's that's my thing yeah that like hearing you talk about that and hearing you talk about the idea of like being wired to compete that's something I like I want to I want to track down that idea because um it's a really interesting one to me because I don't know that we are no and we're not not Darwin's theory that we've used to spin this this totally I agree right yeah because I'm studying um a novel with my my grade 11s at the moment and it's um based on um american indians and i mean my thesis was about indigenous australians right and um i've been lucky enough to spend time with um really like connected thai and mong and garan people who just know things about nature right and I just think about like these in the indigenous peoples of the world and they coexisted not just within themselves as human beings but they coexisted with nature and I spoke to the kids about this because they were like 
it's really interesting. Like they were sustainable. I was like, yeah, they were sustainable before sustainable was a word, right? Like they understood this idea of not taking too much. Yes. Like what went wrong? (laughs) What went wrong is is we we turned the world into a capitalist neoliberal (laughs) world where everything needs to be turned into a product and and is extractive and is you know but of course this is so yes monetized it's all about um you know what's the value what value do you bring to me um because of all the narratives that we've spun over the years because I I can't remember where I read this but I was like this is so true can't remember who wrote this somewhere on LinkedIn uh, and my apologies to them um, for not remembering but it's this whole idea that if you look at the education system it start it start a feudal system right to 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 then this whole uh, enlightenment years and then the science the era of like creating scientific and the splits between science and religion um mm-hmm. to then creating the industrialized era where we just you know we then started mass producing everything and now obviously the the capitalist and and the neoliberal so all of those systems they're ongoing they've been they've kept they've kept going and going and the way they work in this way is that there there needs to be people on top and people on the bottom yeah and and then it and and it's about separation so to some extent it serves the narrative to be fearful and to be scared of the other right to not to look mm-hmm. at them us because then you realize well, the more you have conversations, the more I have conversations with people on the podcast, the more I realize how many of us feel the same, like how many of us share the same ideas, but how often we don't have deep enough conversations, I feel, where we don't go deep enough in terms of, well, let's talk about money, like, let's talk about why the system is how, uh, how it is, rather than trying to tinker on the margins and try and change the system. Um, you know, right now, like you were saying, you alluded to attendance issues in, in schools, right? So a lot of young people, and I don't think it's just in the UK, it's everywhere, or it's post-COVID or sort of like yeah. finding it difficult to go to school. Well, rather than just trying to get them back in schools, why don't we just pause and sort of go, well, manifestation at the top of the iceberg. <laughs> they don't want to go to school. <laughs> like, go deeper. But I think this goes down to what we were talking about at the start, right, is that nobody wants to ask questions and questions are bad. And, like, this just reminds me when you were talking about, like, um, talking about money right? Like nobody wants to talk about hard things. Something really interesting you might find like in Australia, right? Um, Arts courses are the most expensive. Arts courses. And, you know, and, you know, all I can think of the only reasoning why they say it's, you know, because they, you know, they need more scientists, they need more this, blah, blah, blah. The only real reason I can think of is why arts courses are more expensive is because you don't want people questioning. Arts teaches you to question. 
Yes. Right? Yeah. Question yes. the world around you. Yes. That doesn't work with the system. The system does not want you to question. No. At all. No. No, because it's if you have and if you look at also another conversation that often we don't have and now I've entered the social sciences so arts background moved into the social sciences which for me the social sciences are like the spacing between the 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 science and the arts right the creative and the the rigor and the objective Object and yeah yeah and so I think what I find really interesting is, of course, that, you know, we also have a, wor a, a world that was created or, you know, focused on um, the scientific findings. So, you know, I, I don't know, but I think our conversation stemmed from the post I'd put on LinkedIn around what would have happened if... Um, if uh, Newton, when he was he he figured out the 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 theory of relativity, if he'd realized that he was leaning against a tree and that, and the tree and the apple were actually friends, that helped him with his thinking, uh, as opposed to just him hero who just figured out this thing just like that, um, mm -hmm. or if you know Descartes. Um, you know, je pense, donc je suis, I think, therefore, I, I am, had actually paused five minutes and figured out that no heart, no blood pumping through his his brain, no irrigation for his lovely brain and no thinking. Um, you know, I'm like, I mean, did these people think about this or not? I mean, like, sometimes I think my brain works differently. Because I, like you, I am a questioner. I can't help but question. That's why I keep having those conversations on the podcast. Because mm -hmm. I'm satisfied. You know, like even words like the system. What is the system? Why do we use these words? Yeah, I mean, I guess, I mean, if you look at language, right? I mean, this is probably another whole conversation for a podcast. Language is really interesting. Whether we realise the way that we use language or not, it's either almost you know, to include or exclude and, you know, and also to obfuscate, you know, like let's go a little bit Orwellian, right? Like how can we use language to obfuscate? I mean, we see political jargon all the time, but I think as you say, if we refer to something like kind of as the system, it seems like this amorphous kind of like impenetrable force of like, well, how would we ever disrupt it, right? Or how would we ever overcome it or how would we ever, you know, break the wheel? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, 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 completely. And I think for me, then I go, but the system is you and I and everybody else, right? Because it's made up by humans. And my friend Caroline Clark, I love, I love her. She she's helped, she we've co-founded the hub for the teenagers. And she always says, Fabienne, it's all made up. And so we can make up some other. Yeah. You know, we can make, make up something else. Exactly. <laughs> and I love it because it's we have created those systems mm -hmm. and we've inherited those systems from, you know, okay, great. I'm not, you know, I'm not bashing, I'm not, I'm not um you know, criticizing science. Science has really helped us to be where, where we are. You know, I, I'm grateful to have food in, in my in, you know, in my fridge and stuff. Um, whether I fully agree with 
the world as it stands i'm not sure you know i think i would much prefer to find myself more connected to nature or you know living differently um but uh, but i think it's about having conversations like we're having and of course i mean i don't know what your thoughts are because you obviously you're in education still how how easy do you find it to have conversations deep conversations with with people generally um that's an interesting question um with my grade 11s I don't find it very difficult at all actually (laughs) no I'm sure um we have some of like the absolute best conversations um and they always give me like new perspectives and they're also open to me kind of like poking at them too uh, they have this kind of openness to them. And I don't know if it's because I'm just really lucky. Like my class is really diverse. I've got two girls um, from Afghanistan. I've got two Thai um, students. I've got one Chinese, one from Uzbekistan, two from the Western Sahara, and one from the Dominican Republic. Oh, wow. Um, yes, so like truly, yeah, amazing. Truly diverse and really interesting perspectives and also just maybe because of their lives like those deep conversations they're just they're ready to have them but would I say I have like super deep conversations with colleagues and that sort of thing I don't know that school lends itself to those conversations no Mm -hmm. um and you know I'm sure you agree everyone's kind of on their own journey you know, some yeah. people aren't aware that there's a wheel there. Yeah. And that's fine too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and, and you can't, you can't, we're not saviors either. So it's like you can't, it's not about like getting people to see what they're not ready to see or they don't want to see. I mean, like, I think, I think that's, that's also really important, right? As part of the, because um, it's uncomfortable. To, you know, often I often say, like, sometimes I still wish I'd not taken that red pill, <laughs> like, in, like in the, the Matrix. It's like, why, why could I not be like your sister? Be happy to just do a job that earns good money and then just go home and, you know, it would be much I really said this, like, two days ago, Fabienne. I was like, <laughs> why? Like... <laughs> you know this is where this is where I'm at this is so I know I know and you can't unsee right it's like once you've you've that that's it you can't stop and sort of go and ask questions um but I think this is also because you know in in our schools I mean I saw it with the boys the boys stopped asking questions when they went to school like when they were little, why, why this, why, mummy this, why, 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 why? And then you, they go to school and they stop asking questions. And it's like, oh, so heartbreaking. Yeah, and I think like there are some, like I've been quite lucky, like with the the school that I'm at now, there's a lot more opportunity for kids to be curious Mm-hmm. and to engage in uh engage in like activities that would not be considered traditional 
I guess, you know, like being outside and going on every Friday, like the PYP kids go on some kind of field trip, whether it's to like a national park or the beach and, you know, the learning happens within nature. And, you know, like for me, like that's good. But I just wonder, like, I always want to ask the kids. I guess that's my biggest thing. Like someone asked the other day, like, uh, about like an activities week we had and they were like you know add your thoughts and I was like did you ask the students what they thought would be valuable or what they wanted and you know I feel like even though there's definite like steps in the right direction there's still a real top-down approach there's no kind of not that there's no, sorry, that's a little bit too black and white, but there's a lack of like, I can't even think of how to say the word probably, reciprocity or, yes, that's the one, right, like I don't, I don't always have the answers and I'm very open with my students about that, like I'm like, nope, I don't know, let's look together, yeah, I don't know, or I'm not sure, I'll come back to you, yeah, yeah, Um, Um, yeah, but it, but it's, so there's two things what you you were saying um it, the first one is i wonder how when you the more like when i worked in this independent school because there's a lot more resources because obviously it's an independent school and there's money there's more money right from the fees and you're not tied to a curriculum per se as rigidly as yeah as a a state school I wonder whether that's easier to be more flexible and to be agile and to do things outside of the box Mm. Mm. that is a very valid point um and even I I noticed the shift not just from say like public to private because I was in public schools in Australia right to then going private but IB and IB does have kind of criteria but it is more loosey-goosey I guess and how you get there um until you get to DP and like let me go on like a little bit of a tangent on that because when I was teaching PYP right I was like, I don't know, every day I was outside of the classroom and every day I was like, kids, what do you want to do? We need to learn this, this and this. How are we going to do it? And then now I've jumped, I've jumped ship, right? And I'm teaching MYP and MYP I've got space, so we'll leave that behind. But And DP. Do you, you want to? Like for our listeners who may not be familiar with the, with those acronyms. Oh, you... acronyms. Yes. yes. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah, the International Baccalaureate uh, has the primary years program and the middle years program and then the diploma program. So the primary year program runs like elementary or primary school. Um, and then the middle years is dependent it can vary some schools run up from six to ten some from five to ten seven to ten and then the diploma is always like equivalent grade 11 12 which you know you'd be doing your GCSE or A levels or 
mm. if you're in Australia, VCE, HSC or whatever other acronyms you can add yeah. in there. Right? <laughs> um, and so I was teaching, um, yeah, primary years and I I really felt that that space to play and be creative Um and and really engage with the kids and talk to the kids and I could follow their kind of interests more like if rather than being like no don't have questions about that we need to learn this today I could be like whoa cool question buy lesson plan let's go let's go over here right because that's where the really rich meaningful stuff happens um, and it's been a real uh, adjustment for me to go now to DP, which is actually quite prescriptive in what needs to be taught. And, you know, the reason being is that they need a mark, they have to do an exam, which then goes to a university and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but it's, it's, a little bit disheartening, I guess, for me. Yeah, no, I can understand. I can, I completely understand. That's partly why I, after a, a one-year career break, I said I can't go back to uni and teach mm -hmm. because I can't. <laughs> I just, I just like that's not where my heart is anymore. Um, and then you go back to, I circle back to that question, but that's easy for me because I've got a husband who can help me stay at home. And then I applied for the, the PhD and I got some funding. So that mm -hmm. means that I can address that question of money again. Mm -hmm. the, reason, the reason many of us uh, sort of stay in the system is because of those lovely pink, fluffy, shuckles we have um where you know if if you don't earn money then how do you live how do you pay the bills how do you you know as an expat uh in living in in you know thailand or or, or vietnam or wherever you are bali you you will have expenses so you need to yeah. keep a roof over your head you know very often as an expat your expenses are much more much higher than people in the country um right and so then then you've got those pink fluffy shuckles that are so very difficult to remove and that are a tie to to the thing to to the i system. am feeling it so much right now too fabian like those handcuffs and i don't know if it's got something to do with like my age as well so like it's my birthday in a couple of weeks I'm gonna be 34 I don't know what it is about 35 for women but it's just like this kind of clock where I'm like oh you know should I have kids do I want to have kids if I have kids I need to have them now like blah 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 but you know what's also tied into it right is that I don't want to work full-time mm. It's not interesting to me. Mm. Like, I love my kids and I love, you know, my students and it's not that I don't like education itself, but I also like being in the garden more. 
Um, and I have this kind of idea about collaborating and writing a book about like Thai uh, flora and fauna. Mm -hmm. And I want, I want, you know, time and space to do that, but I'm the breadwinner, you know, as I kind of loosely spoke to you about, like um, my partner works six days a week, 10 hours a day at 10 times less salary than myself. And crazy. it's awful, you know, <laughs> and it just like, yeah, I feel, I feel, I feel those handcuffs getting tighter, you know, and I'm kind of screaming like, let me out. <laughs> I hear you. I can <laughs> that was me. That was me three years ago. So I completely, <laughs> completely hear you. Um, and and in a way, as I said, I had a way out because my husband, weirdly, I used to be the breadwinner, so I used to have the the better job and so the the better salary. And when I said I'm taking a year out, he got a new job with with more money, so that we've shifted yeah. the dynamic. Um, but I also really recognise my my position of privilege. You know that I want to acknowledge that. Um, but you know all of that is not often addressed like when we talk about education when we talk about you know it, it's all of these different systemic things that are sort of like so intertwined and so connected and and yet not addressed like you know like the 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 place of male female like for example you know like for example as women we may work full-time but very often when you come home, that's not the end of your day. Uh, no. you, know, you, you have to carry an awful lot. And and that is not something that is openly discussed, as in, you know, the taking care of the kids, the taking care of their house and taking care of the cooking and the washing and the shopping. I mean, you know, that is changing too, because I think more and more families now have a, different you know where where men are also involved that's certainly the case for our family I think you know my husband does an awful lot I'm so like so grateful he does um but those are important conversations they're all very important conversations in the same way that the conversation around the you know in where you live how come you your salary is 10 times that of your partner who's tied you know, like how? How do we? How do we accept it? How do we make it okay? How do we justify it? And you know, and like even okay, if you wanted to look at it like, like super objectively, right? Like okay, his job is uh more like trade based, right? And mine is you know more like in a university degree blah 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 but that still doesn't explain why I'm paid so much more than my Thai counterparts at school for doing a similar job if not the same job you know what I mean and you know I, I've tried to advocate for them and um, I mean it hasn't really worked but <laughs> because I don't 
I don't understand it. You know, if you've got two people doing the same job, then for me, it makes sense. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And that's the reason. Right? I, yeah, 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 completely. I completely agree. And and we accept that, right? It's about it's about the fact that weirdly in our societies we have reached a stage and i I, in my research i'm i'm starting to have informal conversations with parents and with teachers and with leaders and and young people and actually what i'm hearing is that um in particular from teachers and from leaders, they're saying that we have reached a stage here in, in I'll talk about England because that's where I'm researching. We've re- reached a stage where uh, individuals, before people um, wanted the best for their children, mm-hmm. but they, they you know, but they also wanted the best for all children. So it's like they they wanted everybody to to get access to the good stuff. Now we've reached a stage in England where parents want the best for their kids and they don't care if it means that others don't have the same thing or if their kids have more mm-hmm. than others. Interesting. And this is a new thing. This is a new thing where somehow as a as society, it's like, well, I don't care whether other people have less or other people, you know, what matters to me is that I get what I feel I deserve or my child gets what they need. Do you think that like if we circle all the way back around to the start of what we're talking about with like, caring for versus caring about like that's it in a nutshell right I think so I think I think somehow and you know I'm not saying that the needs of every single individuals so what I'm saying in this conversation is not saying that yeah of course if your child is unhappy or if your child is not you know is not doing well then of course we want them to be thriving and flourishing that goes with that question but it, before it was like, but every single ecosystem in 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 the garden called life deserves to be thriving and flourishing. Now yep. it's almost like, well, no, I don't care. I'll I'll I don't care if anybody else is not thriving and flourishing around me. It doesn't matter anymore. And I think it's because we have, because of that system we've created, which is, it's all about you. You're an individual, you have to compete. It's about, you know, then we recircle back to the conditioning, the not asking questions, not having enough space to ask those questions. Um, And that's it. And And maybe that's why we keep circling back. And maybe that's why, like your question, we know, right, what needs to change. We know, um, my my biggest frustration around language at the minute is the amount of people who tell me, yes, I know. <laughs> yeah, but you know, it doesn't mean that you do then. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> yeah, I know. Isn't it terrible? Isn't it terrible? I know, terrible. Do you think that's just like a sense of like, it gives you the freedom to kind of 
not do anything, right? Like you're loosely acknowledging that you agree, but you're not under any like actionable, like, you know, to do anything about it. Yeah, maybe it's, and then it gives you that thing. It's caring about, I care about it. I'll give it two minutes thoughts or um, I'll give it 10 bucks and then I can just continue with my life and not ask any questions because it's mm-hmm. fun. Yeah, that's where it kind of starts and ends, right? That's it. And it's like, oh, okay, that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> because if you care for, you can't simply, like, that goes back to that red pill. You've taken that red pill you care for. And so, therefore, you're going to be asking questions, having those conversations, you know, asking, you know, being a nuisance or being, you know, like it's funny because my husband often, when we go out and if I get really irate and I get on my soapbox about my passions, um, and we we're with people sometimes he's like behind me and so the person is is like um he, he's looking at me but the person can't see him mm-hmm. and he goes like that like so so for the listeners you can't see but it's literally hand to the throat like cut it fabs that's it <laughs> because he just he he can tell he can tell that like for some people they're not there yet they're not there right yet and you know and 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 I guess maybe they have an, an easier life <laughs> maybe they're happy ignorance is bliss right that's what they always <laughs> say you know yeah maybe maybe that's what it is <laughs> but I don't know I mean what are your thoughts Cara in terms of this conversation we're having where what do you think would be next steps do we even need to have next steps we just just acknowledging these conversations we've just had is enough I think um you kind of alluded to it earlier um about this idea of like thinking that we have to change everything like in ourselves and like I have to be some kind of like pioneer as it were and I don't think that that is necessarily true I think it's definitely, it's these conversations. It's the conversations that are happening a lot on LinkedIn um, now. It's what's happening inside the classroom. It's what's happening uh, with your children, you know, not necessarily in a traditional classroom, but it's those conversations and it's those uh, engagements with young people. And that's, it, it, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a step-by-step kind of thing. And um, young people are far more capable than we give them credit for. And also not just even capable in terms of like, I don't want to see mean like academically or anything like that, but I mean, they're also aware, like they're the most aware than any generation, I would say, but also the most accepting. Mm. So for me, I don't think there's any, yeah, like quick silver bullet, magic button, buzzer or anything. And I think it's it's literally about 
the conversation and about changing the narrative slowly and almost organically, right? If we look at nature, nature is a cycle. Okay, so, or, you know, if you want to use your example earlier of like the pendulum, all right, the pendulum's gone, woo, way over here right now, but it's not stuck there. You know, it, it can come, it can come back. Mm. And I think if we keep that in mind, you know, if we keep nature and we keep that um, idea of a cycle, all right, we're in a kind of strange moment in space and time right now, but you know, it's shifting and it's shifting all the time. Like it takes weeks for a sprout to sprout, for a seed to sprout, right? Yeah. You can't rush it. Yeah, you can't rush it. It's so true. And I think for me, what I've really loved about our conversation was really helped me see is also the whole, this point of everybody's on their own journey and process as well. Mm-hmm. And so like therefore I don't need to own their journey and their process um, it's kind of liberating in a way right <laughs> a little bit yeah and the same with children in effect right it's a in a way perhaps as an adult I don't need to I just cut myself some slack like I don't need to be a savior or I don't need to um to really worry about whether people like like it's it, that's what I do with the podcast but like I'm gonna we're gonna share this conversation and if it resonates with people great if it doesn't then it doesn't and it's it's mm-hmm. all good right um yeah that makes it so much easier <laughs> right I just have to like remind myself of it too because I think like I just came to that conclusion kind of like as we were speaking and I was just like hey why am I always just like, I've got to do this. I've got to get them here. I've got to make sure they feel this way or do this or behave this way or whatever. Like, no, <laughs> it's a lot of shoulds and yeah. do in that, you know, mindset. Yeah. And I love that image. It is back. It's back to mother, mother earth, like that space and allowing each individual ecosystem to just be themselves and to trust that they'll, they'll sprout and they'll come out and be their beautiful selves when they're ready, if they're ready. Do you know what I mean? It's like. Yeah. And if they're not ready, they're not ready. That's it. And you just have to nurture and, 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 mm-hmm. you know, and allow and, and not take it personally as the gardener. If the plant yeah. is not. Growing. It was my green thumb that did it, you know, or my brown thumb as it were. I know. <laughs> Which is. Which is it's quite a nice, nice thing, right? To because it doesn't mean that you don't do anything, and it doesn't mean that you can't be yourself as a you know. Because in the process, what I'm also hearing in this conversation is that through this this conversation, my thinking will be different, and so I have also learned and grown and developed through this conversation with you, right? so so it's 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 all of it it's and 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 actually it means that maybe tomorrow when I go in the hub I'm going to show up differently with the young people Mm -hmm. or my two teenagers or with with 
you know the next person I encounter that has a different way of thinking um because it means that I don't have to worry or carry any of their stuff absolutely absolutely you can give it back that's cool (laughs) that's really helpful thank you that's really really helpful well honestly like it wouldn't have happened without like our your amazing like little little like question stems I guess like just making those connections sometimes just having someone help you like develop those thoughts that they're there um, and they've been there, especially for the last couple of weeks that I've said to you, but it's just like, hmm, where are they going? And I know where they're going now. <laughs> Amazing. Well, I look forward to seeing what what emerges from that. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Amazing. So is there anything I haven't asked you, Cara, that you wish I'd asked you? No, I don't think so. Um I feel like it was a really beautiful conversation and it was natural and we managed to talk about some really like deep things where we, you know, and as far as I'm concerned, I'm happy. Like we're both happy. We both felt like we got something out of it. I can't ask for more than that. Yeah, that's I I feel the same. So anything else you want to add as as we wrap up? What's your like your key takeaway or like things you you want to leave us with? I guess I want to go back to the idea of nature and also the idea of um, children and the fact that nature knows and we can't force it you know and also we need to trust it and I feel that we need to trust nature that it knows and we need to trust our kids that they know and I think if we can do that then a lot of the issues and and uh problems that are arising will will be like nipped in the bud straight away because the conversation is open and you know and the idea of that caring for is is there and the the kids will know that mm-hmm. yeah beautiful and now nodding says it's about caring for and those who are cared for and they know they are being cared for and they can tell you they are being cared for um so beautiful yeah <laughs> thank you cara i just i loved our conversation Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoy our podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify. You can also reach me via Twitter at FlourishingHE on LinkedIn Or you can join our private Facebook group, Flourishing Education. All the links are easily available on anchor.fm. Thank you so much and I hope you are flourishing. Bye for now.